Only smart people get up early enough to listen to the Francine Marie Show. So thanks for listening, smarty pants. Oi, Billy! Oscar! Dave! Get up! Francine Marie Show's on! Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, let's talk about drug abuse or the use of drugs or alcohol, excessively drinking it. Let's talk about addiction period. Did you know that this is recovery month? Joining us today is Kay Grant. She is our human service case manager for Stepping Up Day Mark Recovery Services in Cabarrus County Sheriff's Office. Also, Delton Russell, he's here. He's the director of Will's Place, a nonprofit organization located in Stanley County. Good morning. Good morning. morning. We got a problem on our hands. Do you think we can fix it regarding addiction? Charlotte Observer on August 31st, thing that they ran saying that death from overdoses has gone down for the first time in five years. It seems like uh, maybe that's not a huge deal, but it's a massive deal because we've been seeing overdoses go up steadily for the past five years. So when you say overdose, could it be crack cocaine? Could it just be opioids? Could it be prescription drugs? It could be anything, but usually people don't typically overdose from crack. People typically do overdose from opiates. Got it. And explain to our audience what an opioid is. Prescription opiates are an assortment of things. Uh, They can be things like Oxycontin, Roxycontin, Hydrocodone, uh, which are prescription painkillers that your doctor would prescribe you for being in high levels of pain. Uh, They can also be things like morphine and also heroin and fentanyl. Fentanyl's uh, what we're seeing that's killing everybody because fentanyl's 100 times more potent than morphine. They say it just takes a drop, but then who knows what a drop is? It doesn't take much. Most people cut the drug with the fentanyl. If somebody took an ounce of heroin and they added a bunch of filler to it, say like baby laxatives, uh, and now they've got four ounces of heroin, not going to be very potent. But you can take a very small amount of fentanyl and add into that, and now it's extremely potent. And the problem is, is you drug dealers don't particularly homogenize the uh, the fentanyl in very well. <laughs> okay. Um, There's no recipe, is it? No, no. So, where do we start? Well, first of all, we're having an event, so we need to mark the calendar. September 21st, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Rotary Square in downtown Concord. You guys call it downtown instead of uptown, right? That is correct. Yes, ma'am. There is no uptown <laughs> no, in Concord. No, it's uptown. all downtown. It's all downtown. <laughs> yes, down. <laughs> okay. And this event will, say, for instance, we're a family member of a person who is using. Mm-hmm. We will come so we can get support or the person who's actually. Both. We're acknowledging everybody, whether you're the person recovering, the person who supported someone that was recovering, a friend, a family member, a coworker, because everybody has a story and everybody plays a part. And that's why we're bringing the communities together. It is not just Cabarrus County. It's our surrounding communities because it takes a village. And, I mean, you have to be a good steward. So that's what we're trying to do. Let's talk about addiction. When do you say you have a problem? Normally when things go awry, right? Yes. In recovery, do they ask you, you know, to tell your spouse or tell your family members, I'm sorry? Like, what's the steps? Multiple different pathways to recovery. And truth be told, any pathway that works for somebody, I 100% endorse whatever that is. But when you're talking about the steps, you're usually referring to something uh, like a mutual aid fellowship, uh, something like AA or NA or something like that, right? Uh, That's just what we typically know of out in the community. It's what we're familiar with more so than anything else. I will tell you that any mutual aid fellowship uh, is designed to help you heal emotionally as a person. uh, And as a byproduct of becoming emotionally well, you learn how to mitigate your desires to set your life on fire. 
Uh, you learn how to mitigate the desires to engage in those self-destructive behaviors. But I want to be clear, you know, we do spend a lot of time talking about addiction, but we spend very little time talking about recovery. And as a byproduct of that, we find what we look for in life. So I think it's really important for us to spend some time talking about what recovery actually looks like. And for me, as a person that has 23 years of sobriety, recovery is really all about uh, healing and having growth as a person. And the reason that's important to acknowledge is because 90% of people that are in active addiction started using before the age of 18. So there's significant levels of arrested development there, meaning that whatever age you started using at, that's the age your brain stops developing coping skills. So you might be a 40-year-old man with a wife, kid, house, dog, and a car, but you have the coping skills of, say, a 14-year-old child. For example, take somebody that's in active addiction and put them in a situation where they don't get their way. They're usually not going to, or in a situation where they feel rejected or they don't feel good enough or whatever, they're typically going to handle that in a way that's not necessarily befitting to them. For the record, guys, if anybody's listening right now and you're having to identify with this, uh, there is a beautiful thing called neuroplasticity, and that's a brain's ability to create new pathways, uh, which means that you can heal from this. I'm living proof. In fact, there's 23 and a half million people in our country that are in recovery that are living proof that that exists. But the other issues, um, you know, we know that 76% of men and 80% of women in active addiction have a history of trauma. They experience significant levels of childhood trauma. Uh, And then there's the genetics piece. You know, some people don't experience any uh, trauma, but they still find themselves in active addiction. And we know that genetically speaking, addiction can be passed down to three generations. And let's be clear, when we're talking about addiction, we're not just talking about drugs and alcohol. Anything that you're addicted to can for real be an addiction, whether we're talking about gambling or sex or food or codependency, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an addiction to people. Addiction can be a multitude of things. Wow. I love that analogy. So how can we identify who we are, right? Yeah. Addicted to people. Can't stay can't stay alone, right? Always have to be in a relationship. Right, right. Or had really, really, really poor boundaries. You know, we constantly look to other people to make us happy. You know, and, and, and truth be told, like, we can't really blame people for this because the reality is, is that we're kind of indoctrinated on this. I mean, think about it. Like, we're a nation of people that work jobs that we hate. We drive cars we can't afford. We live in houses that we can't afford to impress people we don't particularly like to begin with. Like, we're indoctrinated from youth to look for external solutions to internal problems. And looking inward is often really scary and feels really uncomfortable because the ego is designed to protect itself at all costs. But it's also required to become healthy. We have to look inside of ourselves and we have to find uh, happiness and comfort within ourselves versus something that temporarily releases this dopamine uh, that makes me happy for a few minutes. But then when the dopamine goes away, I'm on to the next thing that's trying to get that dopamine release. Emotional healing. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So this sounds like it's going to take a minute. (laughs) <laughs> Probably. It is. <laughs> it is, right? It is. Should we take this journey or stab at it alone? Meaning we got we have to have a sponsor. Is that always that's always healthy? Well, having a sponsor uh, can definitely be very, very helpful. But really when we're talking about having a sponsor, what we're talking about are you familiar with Dale Carnegie? Yeah. So Dale Carnegie said we're most like the five people we spend the most time with, right? So it's really important for us to be around people that have what it is that we want. So whether you have a sponsor or not, that depends on what uh, program you're identifying with, whether it's AANA, whatever. Those those sort of things have sponsors. But there's definitely uh, ways, pathways to recovery that don't include a sponsor, but they definitely, no matter what pathway you choose, it's important for you to be around other people that are in recovery so that you can learn how to make your recovery sustainable. For example, you're really good at what you do, right? 
Yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> but but how did you get good at what you do? Mm, over and over and over. Right, and right, right. And I'm willing to wager that, especially early on, you were around people that knew more than you. Yeah. That's how we learn, right? So it's important for us to, to surround ourselves with people that have what we want in that capacity. What if we get rejected? I know I'm playing devil's advocate. Oh, no, no, that, that happens. That oh, will happen. Okay. That will happen. Yeah, I mean, life. Like, you're going you're gonna to experience rejection in life. Relapse. It happens. It does, but you keep going for it. Don't allow anything or anyone to stop your your drive. It's a drive, and you may get no's. You may start off good, and then you may go back again, and like a seesaw where you go back and forth and back and forth, but you don't get off. You keep going. It's important, and that's why you have friends. That's why you have family. That's why you have your community. That's why you have organizations in and around you that can be there to support you. What if we called one of your offices today mm-hmm. and said, hey, I heard the show. I need help. You encouraged me. I do it every day. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I carry two phones on me at all time because I try to have some semblance of healthy boundaries in my life. But no, I mean, like, literally a, a good chunk of what my organization does is we assist people in navigating the behavioral health care system. So whenever somebody's looking for treatment, we're always happy to help that person get into detox, get into treatment, find what programs are available to them based on where they live. Uh, that's That's never a problem. I do that seven days a week. <laughs> and that's uh, Delton Russell. He is with Will's Place. You're the yes, director ma'am. of Will's Place. Yes, ma'am. And the summary of Will's Place is a community of people who have experienced somewhat what yes, the clients ma'am. are yes, doing. Yes, ma'am. Well, uh, everybody that works there is in recovery. So we're, we're peer ran. I'm in recovery. Uh, our staff's in recovery. Uh, so if you walk in the door, you're immediately greeted with people that have been there and done that. But the big thing is, uh, so we serve the community in three capacities. We assist people in navigating the behavioral health care system. We work to teach people how to make the recovery sustainable. Often, you know, we talk to people uh, in treatment and they're like, all right, so you got to get sober. And they're like, all right, how to do that? And you're like, you know, you just quit getting high. And you're like, okay, so how do I do that? And they're like, you know, one day at a time. And they're like, yeah, okay, so how do I do that? And, you know, one foot in front of the other. And you're like, I don't, yeah, but w- what do I do? We actually teach people day-to-day tangibles, things that you can do starting right now today that can help you with maintaining your sobriety, making it sustainable. And then the third thing that we do is a lot of systems level advocacy where we create awareness out in the community and we work with literally anybody that touches the lives of people that we serve. Law enforcement, DSS, social services, health department, school systems, faith-based organizations, literally anyone that touches lives of people that we serve. We want to educate those people, not so much about what addiction is, because we kind of beat that horse to death. We want to educate people about what recovery actually is, because the things that they think and the way that they speak sometimes can create barriers or it can open doors for people. So if you take a person that has a very high level of shame and you speak to them in a way that's very shame producing, that person's likely going to disengage from you. You can't beat somebody in to recovery because the reality is is when I'm not feeling good about me and I'm talking to somebody that, that reinforces me to not feel good about me I just remove myself from the equation I leave and uh, that's typically what happens we don't know what we're doing we think we know what we're doing because we're not using right? actually that is that is a huge thing because uh, there's SAMHSA uh, the federal arm of uh, uh, recovery in the in relationship to our government um, SAMHSA recently said that uh, there was a study that came out that said 90% of what we know about addiction is actually opinion and that's really really dangerous because the part of your brain that lights up when you talk about opinion is in fact the same part of your brain that lights up when you talk about what you know for fact and we often confuse our opinions and facts so how can we give Will's place more support do you guys need money 
Sure, absolutely. We charge nothing for the services that we provide. We never want $5 to be a barrier between somebody uh, getting help and not getting help. Uh, so we don't charge any money for any of the services that we provide. We are 100% funded by donations in the community and grants that we write for. We can always use any level of donations that anyone has to give us. And Kay, you're the... I'm the coordinator for Stepping Up. And I'm the human service case manager at Daymark. So I have two separate locations, which is Daymark Recovery Services, as well as I work at the Cabarrus County Sheriff's Office. So the ideal of our program is to provide services and resources to those who have a history of substance use and mental health because people leave out mental health. Mental health plays a big part in our communities too. And because our state shut down so many locations, our mental health clients or people who identify aren't getting the services they need. One, because they can't afford it. Or two, because not being treated doesn't get them anywhere but either committing a crime or doing something that they typically wouldn't do because they're not being treated for their health issues. Well, you know, if you look at, um, nationally speaking, the largest housing of people that have uh, schizophrenia in the entire country is L.A. County Jail. The second largest housing of people that have schizophrenia in the entire country is Dade County in Miami. Uh, upon the Olmstead Act back in the 70s, when we started turning people out of mental institutions, we didn't follow through with services that actually uh, help people get integrated into the community. It's largely a civil rights issue, honestly. And people who identify with either of these are incarcerated, but incarceration isn't the key to helping right. these people recover and to successfully heal. And I know people don't understand that, but if we start working together, it helps bring this kind of awareness so we can help these people a different way instead of calling the police all the time. Police aren't always going to answer the way we need them to answer. And although they're doing their job, these people need more than just enforcement in that sense. And treating these people as such as though we are all the same, it helps too because people typically want to separate themselves when they notice someone who has a mental health illness or has used substance they don't want to be with those people and you can't shun people away because it's not it's not kind at all but the services that we provide at both organizations that's what we're here for and we're here to support and we're here to work with these people and get them the help they need we're here to work with their families their friends and help them help them and we try to help the clients help themselves and at the Cabarrus County Sheriff's Office I work with a young lady as well her name is Natasha Murray. Hi, Natasha. She helps me because she's going out in the community after I've met these people in the jail and she's out there working with them to provide the reentry services so that they do not reoffend and come back in. We have short-term treatment programs. We have outpatient. We have long-term. Try to meet their probation officers in the middle, their attorneys in the middle. We try to meet everybody in the middle so we can find an alternative route to getting these people the help they need, to show them the love and the care because a lot of these people don't feel loved, don't feel cared for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they shut down and I can identify because I've had relatives, I've had friends that have been in these situations and some have committed suicide. These causes are suicide rates to go up and because they don't have anything or anybody. They may have burnt bridges, but we all burn bridges. We've all done something. But do people point their noses at you? Do people turn their backs on you? There's a lot of resources on the in the community. It's on the internet. We look up everything else on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> uh, Snapchat, all of that. 
but what else could you be looking up? You could identify somebody that's right beside you. You, you don't know if it's your coworker. It could be your mom. It could be your dad. It can be your pet. It can be anyone. But these things that we look for, it means isolation, someone who overeats, people who don't talk positive. It's a lot of things and a lot of ways to identify. And we have to learn these things. That's why we're inviting you to our rally so that you can know these things. We're having a lot of vendors there. We're having a lot of people to share their testimony. We're having people there to educate not only our adults, but our kids, our children, because it's starting young and it's happening in our schools. Right. And we have to learn how to bring it to an end. It's hard to some, but it's not hard when you come together and work together. To kind of follow up with what Kay's saying, we often ask people what's wrong with them, but we very seldom ever ask people what happened to them. Because the majority of people, like we talk about marijuana being a gateway drug, we talk about alcohol being a gateway drug. The real gateway drug, honestly, is trauma. Almost everybody that's in active addiction, like as I said previously, 76 to 80% of people in active addiction have significant levels of undealt with trauma. We're talking about engaging people from a trauma-informed standpoint. I can tell you what made a huge difference in my life is when somebody asked me for the first time, hey man, what happened to you? And I was like, what do you mean what happened to me? And they're like, I mean, you didn't get to where it is that you are. You weren't, you didn't become who you became just because like, like there's something that happened. So let's let's get to the bottom of that. And when I finally started realizing that, it's when I was able to start loving myself and finally start forgiving myself a little bit for the things that I've done. Because the reality is I've never been a bad person. I've been a person in a bad place. You know, I've worked with a lot of people that are incarcerated. I've worked with a lot of people out in the streets. I've worked with people from all across the line. And I've never met anybody that's truly and genuinely a bad person. Uh, they might exist out there somewhere, but I haven't met them. Everybody that I've met has been people in bad places. We immediately judge, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we see ourselves in them. And that's what scares us. Absolutely. Yes. We know what we dislike about people are often things we dislike about ourselves. So, you know, uh, it, it's real easy to judge somebody when we don't feel good about ourselves to begin with, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but the reality is, you know, like, have you ever stood there at the fridge when you weren't hungry with the door open? You weren't looking for food. You were looking for dopamine. (laughs) The same way that a person that's drinking alcohol or using drugs is looking for dopamine. The reason I say that is because the greatest day of your entire life, the best day you ever had ever, your brain released maybe 100 nanograms of dopamine. But when you're getting high or drinking alcohol, your brain's releasing between 700 to 1300 nanograms of dopamine every single time, again and again and again. So it's not the drugs and the alcohol that you're craving. It's the dopamine that the drugs and the alcohol release that you're craving. Just like it's not the food that you're you're not hungry. You're looking for that dopamine release. Just like, have you ever been in a toxic relationship? Okay. Yes. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We're hitting pay dirt now. Okay. Um, But but a lot of times when we get in that toxic relationship, that intermittent it it goes up. When it's really good, it's amazing, and when it's bad, it's like the wheels have come straight off this. Right. That happens because uh, we're getting that intermittent dopamine release, so we keep going back to it. We keep going back to it. We keep going back to it until we finally realize that we deserve better. You know, so, and I want to be clear, a lot of times when people tell their stories, we like a story that talks a lot about pain. Like we want to know like the blood and the guts, like how bad did it get, you know? But I'll tell you honestly, pain didn't get me sober. I can live with exceptionally high levels of pain for very long periods of time, very comfortably. Dysfunction, I know how to do that. That is easy. What's scary is actually succeeding in life. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not the pain that got me sober. What it was was the momentary belief that I deserve better than what I was currently living in that got me sober. That's the piece that uh, is that hope, so to speak. Without hope, uh, this is a really difficult thing to do. I like it. Delton, you're speaking <laughs> it this morning, right? You. Do you ever speak in front of groups like this all the time? About 250 times a year. Okay, got it. <laughs> 10 days off. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, no, this is a, a large portion of what I do is uh, uh, public speaking out in the community. And Kay, just so eloquent. I like I like your position in life and you're continuing this journey. What made you get into this business of helping people? Um, I had an experience while I was in college and a relative of mine committed suicide. My relative had both mental health and substance use. They were dear to my heart, couldn't understand them, couldn't understand the situation. But I've seen how it destroyed my family. I've recognized friends who I've also experienced and shared the same issues. And I'm a proactive person, not a reactive person. So when I was in college, it actually helped me finalize what I was getting my degrees in, thank God. I followed in my mom's footsteps, who had majored in psychology. So I was like, let me go ahead and go in psychology. But I couldn't figure out what kind of population. So I said, I'll concentrate in human services. But then I said, I love this law enforcement world, but I feel like there's some changes that need to be made. I want to do something with policy. So I said, I'll get my degree in criminal justice and then seek a master's soon. Well, after my relative committed suicide, I said, you know what? I'm going to go do something about it. I don't really favor people who talk about stuff but aren't doing anything about it. And I was raised to be a proactive person, and that's what I did. I've worked in or with this population since I graduated college. And I've been around a few agencies, but I have learned a lot and that's how I met this great gentleman beside me, Delton. We met through some people that are also a part of this great rally that's coming up. Mm -hmm. And it allowed us to connect and actually share each other's testimony with each other. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy meeting people who, one, I can relate to, but two, who have a voice. And a voice not just to be heard in an office, on a phone through social media, but someone who wants to speak to everyone. And that's what I'm about. I, I enjoy helping people because somebody helped me. God didn't leave me. I can't leave them. And I, I pray that I continue to work with people and help them and provide the services that's going to get them on that right step because it can happen. Don't give up. Don't give, Don't up. give up. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you only fail when you when you give up. If you keep getting back up, you haven't failed yet. And your past does not dictate your future. I thank my pastor for reminding me that all the time. People think, oh, because I have a, a record or I have a history of or this has happened, that that stops them. No, what that should do is motivate you and mm -hmm. push you into the direction of destiny because you can get there. I've personally, I've defied a lot of odds to get to where it is that I am. And that's completely and totally what Kay's talking about. Just never giving in, never giving up, always pushing forward. I will say that uh, one thing, just for anybody that's listening that's, that's maybe struggling, there's three areas of life. There's the past, the present, and the future. If you spend the majority of your day in the past, then you're not in the present, then there is no future. 
So if you want to proceed moving forward in life, the best way to do that is to get into the present now. Uh, and a lot of people struggle with ways to do that. Some things that you can do is you can very simply write out gratitude lists. What is it that you feel grateful for in this world? And if you run out of things to feel grateful for, remember you can talk, touch, taste, see, smell, hear. Things that if you were taken away from you, uh, you would definitely notice it. Like. For example, you ever scratch your uh, cornea, you walk around with a eye patch on for a couple of days and you're like, all right, I'm ready to get this eye patch off. Mm-hmm. So being uh, being grateful for small things, things like yoga and meditation are very, very important. Prayer and just having conversations with people about things uh, like minded people about things that are ways that you can grow, mm-hmm. things that you can learn from. And then the wake up call, you know, the checkup from the neck up. Am I talking negative every yes. time I yes. speak? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We don't even yes. know we're doing it. Or right. the complaining. Right. You know, right. 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 Because it's just part of our culture. It's our social norms. Mm-hmm. It's what we do. In fact, I was doing that for years and I, I actually caught myself doing it this weekend. We all went to a cabin up in the mountains. We're coming out of the shower. My friend's like, how was the shower? And I was complaining about the, the low water pressure. I could just kind of see his face just kind of turn off. And I was like, oh, I'm doing it. Uh, no, the shower was good. Uh, I got to take a shower and I feel good after I took a shower. Uh, was it the best water pressure I ever had? No, but the shower did just fine. Thank you for asking. Right. I appreciate the fact that you actually cared enough to ask. Thank goodness you had a shower. Yes. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people who right. don't have, have a, shower. a shower. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. it's, so it's all about perspective, right? You change your perspective, you change your reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it means changing who you hang around mm-hmm. because some people fail to realize that the company you keep sometimes can also add on to these and if you hang around people that gripe and moan and complain then guess what you're going to do gripe complain moan and everything else that's negative they are speaking the truth this morning it's Kay grant she is our human service case manager also we have delton russell our director of will's place we want to give a shout out to stepping up we want to give a shout out to the sheriff's office Thank and Cabarrus County yes. and all the people that are involved. We listening need to come out. Come on. If you don't understand recovery, That's come okay. on out. If Absolutely. you don't understand why your friend decided to do drugs and you didn't, come on out. Mm-hmm. And can we just talk about our grade schoolers? They're back in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sometimes that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They might see the parent. Mm-hmm. overindulging mm-hmm. and it looks normal well, even if they're not seeing their parent i mean have you watched tv yes. <laughs> listen social to music mi- social media <laughs> social media yes. i mean like Very it's toxic. pervasive in our culture mm-hmm. you know again you know like we glamorize and, and glorify a lifestyle that's very detrimental to our wellness and our babies they're easily influenced so they think these things that their favorite icon, their TV, you know, social media stars are doing things that are great. So they want to mimic them. But what are they really doing to our children? What are right. we exposing our children to? And it's not necessarily just the parents. It's in the schools. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the teachers. Mm-hmm. Just don't know. My wife's I mean, an elementary uh, art teacher. I hear stories constantly about how the children are often not equipped with the coping skills that they they need where it is that they need to be in the future and it's, it's it's really tough she works with the children sometimes grow up to be adults that i'm working with mm-hmm. you know the, the kids that she's seeing that are having troubles in elementary school are the adults that i typically work with uh, out in the community yeah. so it's it's really important to get early intervention absolutely and i'm a big sister with big brother big sister mm-hmm. out of greater charlotte but i serve the cabarrus county area and delton is right a lot of our children or our kids 
they are the product and unfortunately they don't have great examples so that's why they end up the way they are but they don't have to remain that way and if you just give them someone positive influence somebody like a mentor Mm -hmm. that stuff can help them Unfortunately, our society is the way it is, but it doesn't have to be that way if we come together. I keep saying it. Educate ourselves on everything that our kids are exposed to, what we're exposing ourselves to, so we can recognize these things. We have Kay Grant. We have Delton Russell. Last words. Come on, you guys. We have to come on out September 21st, 6 to 9 p.m., Rotary Square in downtown Concord, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., Come on out. Do we need to RSVP? No, but you can find out information on Eventbrite and its recovery rally. You can go on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash recovery rally 19 twitter is twitter.com slash recovery rally and then instagram instagram.com community recovery rally um and this event is sponsored by cabarrus health alliance cabarrus substance use coalition and brandon's bridge we're all looking forward to everybody coming out supporting and just coming together to fellowship we want to raise awareness that recovery is real that it exists in our community we as i mentioned previously we have 23 and a half million people in this country that are in recovery and less than 5% of them are actually open about the fact that they're in recovery. There's a lot of shame and a lot of stigma attached to addiction and recovery and we want to do our best to uh, to bust that stigma. But I cannot stress this enough. If you're a person in active addiction, come on down. If you're a person in recovery, come on down. If you're just a recovery ally, you are the most important person there and the reason for that is because the recovery allies change public perception. When you don't have an addiction yourself but you engage with other people out in the community, can advocate for recovery in ways that other people have a hard time being able to. So it's really important to get people there. And on the Eventbrite, you have where we can connect with Will's Place? We will add a link. Yes. 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 And, and if anyone uh, listening to this needs assistance in any capacity, just Google Will's Place. Uh, we're willsplacenc.org. You can look up our phone number, give us a call anytime. We're always happy to help anywhere that we can. And Daymark Recovery Services as well. Or you can send me an email at ka grant at daymarkrecovery.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Will y'all come back, please? please Absolutely. Please, Anytime. Please. Anytime. All right. Kay Same. Grant, also Delton Russell. Thank you for joining us. Thanks um, for having us. And your one hour of public talk radio is up. I am your hostess of the most is Francine Marie. What are you going to do with your day? Make it a great one. I'll be back next weekend. Same time, same station. And until we meet, I want you to have a good week. Bye bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the Francine Marie show, where we address issues concerning you and your family. That's all for now. See you next week. Only smart people get up early enough to listen to the Francine Marie show. So thanks for listening, smarty pants.